I'd invite you this morning, if you have a Bible, uh, to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke again today. This morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to Luke, the 15th chapter. As you turn there, I want to just talk a little bit about where we're going to go in a few weeks. We have a couple of more Sundays looking at various parables from the Gospel of Luke. But but beginning October 1st, um, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to invite you into it. Uh, This last year on uh, New Year's, I made a resolution to try to read through the Bible in a year. It's been really profound. Um, You mostly know me well enough now to know there's a lot of things I hope for us as a church. I hope, um, as we'll celebrate tonight, that we get really involved in our community, that we are shaped to be reflections of the new creation of who Christ called us to be. But, But I have a deep passion uh, that, that someday when I'm done here, that you will have become better students of the Word. And so one of the things I, uh, that this year has made me think about and want to do, um, and so October 1st, we're going to start something we're, we're calling The Story That Changes Everything. And I'm going to invite uh, those of you who would like to, to join with me beginning October 1st to journey through the Scripture this year. Now, not all of you are going to want to do that. It takes about three chapters a day to get through the scripture in a year. And so in October, for October, we're going to give you a guide. For those of you, uh, I, I, I think of it this way. A few years ago, um, I ran, well, ran is a strong word. I finished the LA Marathon. Um, but I trained, it was my favorite year to do it because I trained with some APU students. And, um, and some of them uh, wanted to run and do well. And so they kind of did their thing together. And we have these wonderful coaches and some uh, wanted to do pretty well. And so they kind of trained together. And then some of us just wanted to finish. And, uh, and so some of you are going to want to be marathoners here and, and be with us through the whole thing. But we're going to also give opportunity for those of you who are kind of 10, 10Kers in this uh, to have a passage for each day. And some of you who are more kind of ready for a 5K, uh, we'll give you a passage for each week. Uh, but Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we're going to start talking about it. If you'd love to come and be a part of it, we'll talk for a couple weeks about how to read the scripture well before we jump into it. Uh, but part of the reason we're starting in October is because most of you go on vacation during the holiday, and so it's hard to start on January 1st together. Plus, uh, as we go through this, during this year, we're going to pick texts from each of the sections that we've been reading each week and preach on those during the year. And so, As I lined all of that out, it it was so much better to start in October when the students are around and could participate with us, but also um, because when Advent rolls around, we'll be in text like uh, that will help us. Uh, That will be better. Um, And especially when we get to Lent, uh, we'll be in Isaiah. If we started in January, uh, during Lent, we'd be in in Chronicles. And anyway, um, so... So we'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks, but I wanted you to be ready for that. This morning, though, we turn to Luke, the 15th chapter. And this morning, um, it's such an amazing text that I I had trouble figuring out how to break it up this morning. And so normally, if you're a guest with us, I'd have you stand this morning in honor of the Lord's word. But I want to read the whole 15th chapter, and I want you to think more about the chapter than that the fact that your knees are hurting. And so um, I'm going to invite you to stay seated this morning, but I'm also going to invite you to pay attention uh, to this amazing text. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. 
Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, celebrate with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there, is, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, my, tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Jesus said a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no lo I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. And the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A lot of years ago now, when I was first teaching at SNU, it was my first year, um, and a gentleman named H. Ray Dunning, some of you will be familiar with that name. Uh, Dr. Dunning wrote a systematic theology for the church and taught at Trevecca for a lot of years. He, he came for 
uh, a semester to, to help SNU, to come and, and be a guest professor. And so I was new at this stuff. And so oftentimes I would sneak down the hall when I knew he was teaching and kind of linger in the doorway, you know. And, and as I was walking by the classroom one day, he was standing up in front of the classroom and he had money in both hands. In one hand, he had a $1 bill. and the other hand, he had a $100 bill. And I stopped in part because I had never seen a Christian college professor with a $100 bill. Um, I was shocked. It's amazing. Um, but he was saying to the class, and I, I'm not sure they remembered it, but I've never forgotten it. He's, he was saying to them, as he talked about Scripture, he was saying, listen, and as we go through the Scripture this year, we'll discover all Scripture is valid. And so he was saying, if I gave you this $1 bill, you could easily go down to the corner, to the, to the 7-Eleven or to the, you know, to the Maverick, and, and they would take your dollar. You could buy something with it. But if I asked you, would you rather have the $1 bill or the $100 bill, you don't even have to pray about that. You're taking the $100 bill. So they're both valid, but they're not equally valuable. And so he was talking about some of the passages of Scripture that are not just valid, but incredibly valuable to us. I would say today, Luke 15 may not just be a $100 text of Scripture. If there was such a thing as a million-dollar bill, this might be it. And so as I, as I was preparing to preach Luke 15 this week, I thought, oh, Lord, help us, right? It, this may be as close to a perfect passage of Scripture as we have. It fits the context perfectly. Pharisees grumbling about Jesus, eating with tax collectors and sinners. Each story seems to be connected with the next. It's such a perfect set of parables in this sense, as we've, those of you who've been with us, we've looked at some parables where I've had to say, maybe this is God, but maybe we could look at this character in another way, Right? And there are some parables where Jesus gets done and the disciples are like, we didn't get that. And he has to explain the whole thing to them. He doesn't have to explain anything about this one. We're not confused about who God is in these parables. We're not confused about who we are in these parables. There's something so profound and beautiful about how these parables reveal so much about who we are, but more importantly, how they reveal what is so essential and true about the nature and character and the graciousness of God. So I kept thinking this week, I can only get in the way. But I'm going to try anyway. Um, so this morning, I want to reflect with you about two or three pieces of these parables. So more than preached this morning, I, I just... I want to draw out some of the beauty of what is so obvious in the text. The first thing I want to reflect on with you today is, is I get a little concerned that as we read these texts, that there are times when we narrow too much our understanding of what it means to be lost. And maybe that's because when I was a kid, there was that campaign where people would put the bumper sticker on the back of their car that said, I found it, you know, right? Like, and we oftentimes use the word lost in terms of the assurance of somebody's destiny when they die. Um, and please, I think that's an important question. I do think one of the things God desperately wants for us is to live in such a way that, that death no longer has sting over us. And we, we can live with the assurance that as we breathe our last breath here, we breathe our first breath into the new creation. And, that, and there's something so important about that. But if we narrow what it means to be lost down to just this question of our, our ultimate destiny, I think we fail to recognize that when Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, it's far more than the eternal nature of their destiny that 
that Christ is concerned with. That he sees them as, as somehow disconnected from the purposes for which they were created. There is a lack of Thanks, Bella, for being with us today, the Bellas. Um, Bella Voce for being with us today. I mean, there's something so right when voices are in harmony, right? That there's something that, that flourishes. I, I couldn't help but think about being lost. And so I, I play the piano a little bit, but I have not played the piano in public in a long time. And the reason for that is because I never quite got to that place where I, had, where I could quit thinking about it. So I still have to look at notes, and then I have to think. There's a whole process before they come out of my fingers, right? That's very problematic. But more than that, right after I graduated from here and went home uh, to be a youth minister, there was a, a wonderful lady in the congregation who I knew gave piano lessons. And so I signed up. I wanted to keep taking piano. The only thing was I was her only student in their 20s. Everybody else was fourth grade, right? Yeah, like fourth graders. And so... She was excited to have somebody as old as me uh, learning to play the piano or, or trying to get better at it. And so I worked on this wonderful arrangement of A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and came time for her student recital, and so she thought it was really cute to include me in the recital, and, and she put me at the end, right? And so all these kids played Henry the Cat, meow, meow, Henry the Cat, right? Like all of those pieces that you learn to play. And so then I was going to, you know, finish this thing off with the mighty fortresses our God. And I have to tell you, I don't usually get nervous in public kinds of things, but I started breaking out in a sweat. I sat down at the piano. My knee was shaking. I couldn't push the, pit, the pedal down. And I, I was trying to do it from memory, and I got the first notes right. And then nothing, right? And suddenly it was like I was having a stroke or something. I was hitting keys, but they were not the right ones. And discordant things are coming out of the piano, and children are crying, and like it's just this horrible moment. I wanted to run off the stage, and finally I just said, I think I forgot everything. And so I ran down, grabbed the book, and started over, and it was just a mess. And I've never played in public since, right? Being lost is that sense in which we knew what life was supposed to be about, but now we don't. And we're playing, but nothing sounds right or feels right. And our life just seems to be built on a lack of harmony that not only causes us anxieties and fears and sadness, but it now sends out all these discordant sounds out into the world. And not only seems to affect us, but seems to affect it all of those around us as well. And so these parables are about a kind of lostness that we find our lives in that certainly has resonance into eternity, but is also that deep sense that we are not connected to what God wants us to be now. Part of what I love about these parables is that they are so, they, they so build on each other and so are so connected with each other, but they are also somewhat different too. And so I'd also like to reflect with you about how interesting it is that there are various ways of being lost in these parables. There's even various ways in which God's grace manifests itself to us. The first parable tells a story about a lost sheep. One of the things I find fascinating about the parable is there's not a lot of sort of moral implication upon the sheep that got lost, 
I am a hard person to go shopping with because I don't like it very much, and I get distracted. And so I, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to say amen to everything, honey. Um, <laughs> Debbie is much more of an intense shopper. See, you know, want to see everything in the department kind of thing. It takes me 30 seconds. I've seen the department. Now let's move, right? We're on a quest here. Let's keep going. So it is not unusual for me to get lost still in the mall, right? And in some sense, the, the sheep that wanders doesn't decide to leave one day, but sort of is an ADD sheep that just gets sort of distracted. And then one day, one moment stops to look and say, where, where am I now? And where did the flock go? There is a sense, and maybe there are a number of folks maybe online with us today or even here who recognize a lostness that you felt in the past or even a lostness that you feel like now, and you don't really remember making a whole lot of decisions to get lost. But perhaps relationships that have come into your life have begun to lead you astray. When I was a youth minister, I used to say to young people, the three most important decisions you make in your life are who you're going to serve, who you're going to marry, and who your friends are in eighth grade, right? And sometimes we get connected into relationships that lead us into different directions. Sometimes practices start to creep into our lives that before we know it become habits that have taken us away from the purposes for which God created us. Sometimes there are attitudes and internal conversations that we become a part of, language that we begin to use, and I don't just mean kind of profane language, but a way of seeing and talking about the world that becomes so deeply ingrained in us that all of a sudden we wake up one day and we think, where am I? How did I get here? The beauty of the text is that the shepherd leaves the 99 behind and goes to find that one who has wandered from the purposes for which you were created. And not only does not rest until you are found, but celebrates when that reconnection is made and you are brought back home. There's a story that my family has told a lot growing up. It's one of those Thanksgiving tribal narratives that we tell when I was a kid, it's not just a new problem. I, I wandered off when we were in Estes Park. I think I was about five or six years old. I think we were in a store the way the story goes, and I was looking at various things in the store and doing my kind of ADD thing, and all of a sudden, nobody's in the store with me, and I'm all by myself. Everybody's gone. The reason I tell the story is because I didn't freak out, even at five or six. I just went, hmm. And... Uh, Walked out the front door, and there was a planter along the side of the building, and I just crawled up and sat there and waited for my parents to come back, right? Now, my parents love to tell that story, be, you know, because I'm kind of a cool cucumber. I don't usually get too high or too low and uh, a little bit too logical for my own good. But the longer we've told the story, the more I've realized that story has less to do about my approach to life And I think it does about the fact that even at five and six years old, I had such a deep conviction about my parents' love. And I knew I didn't need to freak out or think that somehow they had left me. 
And if I would just crawl up in that planter, they were freaking out. And they would find me. The second parable is the one I, I want to sing. Um, remember that Sesame Street song? One of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. To me, the coin in the second parable doesn't belong. And, and here's why. In all the other parables, I know that I just said the sheep really doesn't have any sort of moral condemnation put upon the sheep for wandering. He just wandered. And we'll get to the son and the other son. But it's interesting, the coin is inanimate. The coin, as valuable as it is, and scholars wrestle with, why was it so valuable? Perhaps it had to do with an engagement. Perhaps it's just simply the value of a, a poor woman taking, you know, needing this for life and for the sustaining of her well-being. But, you know, inanimate things don't lose themselves. It's not like my iPod, my iPad, which is lost frequently, thinks to itself, I wonder if I jumped over there and got in that drawer. That will drive him crazy, right? <laughs> I wonder if I sit here in this, right? I wonder if I go over to that, uh, to that gas station bathroom and get left up there on the towel thing. That will be wonderful, right? Like, inanimate objects don't go get lost, right? Something acts upon them that causes them to be lost. I think it's important for us to recognize this morning that sometimes our lostness is not only not morally condemned by these parables, but in fact acknowledges that our lostness oftentimes happens at the hand of someone else. I remember a wonderful conversation with Pastor Diane about six, seven years ago where she was help fixing me, helping me. Um, I love to write responsive readings, especially during Lent, and almost all of mine have to do with the freedom that we've been given that we misuse, because that's the way I tend to think about my own sin. And Diane really helpfully reminded me, she said, just remember, many of us have freedom that we have misused, but there are many people in the world who've never had freedom to be able to misuse it. And perhaps the parable reminds us of some who have been lost because of cycles of abuse and neglect, family and social cycles and patterns and structures that have kept us from ever being able to fully plug into the vine, to be connected to that thing for which that would give us the ability to live into what we were created to be and to do. Again, the beauty of the parable is that like that woman, God tears up the house seeking those who have been lost in that way of neglect and will not rest until it is found. For you are too valuable for God to just let stay lost. Every time I read that parable, I'm reminded of a time years ago when my mom lost the diamond to her wedding band. She woke up one day and the ring was still there, but the diamond was gone. Between you and me, she freaked out. And I know it's valuable, but it was really mostly emotionally valuable. But man, she tore up the house. She made us vacuum everything and then go through the vacuum bags. She called the plumber. We had all the traps and the sinks taken down, right? 
We searched for three or four days. She cried for three or four days. She couldn't find it. And finally, one day they were changing the sheets on the bed, and as they took the, folded, the fitted sheet out, the diamond dropped right on top of her foot. Thanks be to God. <laughs> but the beauty of the text is the God who will not rest until we are found. Of course, the prodigal son is a very different form of lostness. It has some moral implications to it. For the prodigal son intentionally wakes up one day, shakes his fist at the father and says, I will take my inheritance, I'm leaving. Almost every commentator on this text will say, in a first century culture so rooted in the issues of shame, what the son asks is not just heartbreaking to the father, but also shameful. I don't want anything to do with you. Some commentators say we could even read it to the extent of the prodigal saying, I wish you were dead. He takes that life so costly to the father, so costly to the family, and wastes it all. Wakes up in the worst place you could probably wake up, especially if you're a first century Jew feeding pigs and longing to eat what they're eating. He goes back home, and again, most commentators here say we get a, a second sort of risk of shame. The father running, embracing, welcoming, uncaring about what other people think, but in the overflow of grace, welcoming the son back into the family, back into the fold, back into life. Rightly, this is so powerful for us, not only about our own, at times, sense of walking away running away from the things of God, but the beauty of God's embrace, it is rooted in the message that's so important to Luke, the message of Jubilee. We talked about this several weeks ago, but in Luke chapter 4, that central sermon to the gospel of Luke, where Jesus proclaims that the Spirit has anointed him to proclaim good news, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This parable is rooted in that, this young man has racked up every debt he could possibly rack up, and still God takes the etch-a-sketch of his life and shakes it, and he gets a do-over. The lost is found and is welcomed. Of course, so much of the power of this parable is that it's not really so much about the prodigal son as it is about the older brother. For we see one last example of lostness. And in my opinion, it's the most dangerous of all because it's a lostness that, that thinks it's found. It's a disconnection from the purposes of being home while still living under the Father's roof. I actually have sympathy for the older brother. The older brother hears about the party going on. <laughs> he has a huge beef with the father. His huge beef is that he has no beef, which is his huge beef. I think that's a funny joke. Come on, you, you can use that. <laughs> but we recognize in the older brother a kind of blindness a kind of blindness to the reality of the goodness of life that has always been his. 
the joy of a new creation, the joy of the kingdom in which he has always dwelled, where truly everything that the Father has has been his. But he can no longer see that. He can no longer see the younger brother as lost, only as somebody who has failed to be what he thinks he has become. It's quite tragic, isn't it? It it reminds me often of the ways in which we, even though we're here all the time, fail to resonate with the heart of God or see the others in our world the way that we're invited to see them. I want to say in closing, thank you. I know I've said this a lot recently, but, but I'll say it again. Thank you for the way, for the most part, we have navigated the last two and a half or so years. Um, it's, it's difficult, um, especially in a world so shaped where we're taught to interpret and shape everything through various political lenses so that our question is no longer, how do we respond in love to our neighbor? It's who's getting what, and are those people saying it? Because then it must be wrong. But for the most part, you leaned into, um, you leaned into that sense of what does it mean for us to navigate this challenging time in ways that care for each other and, and love neighbor. These last few years have brought a lot of conversations, rightly, and renewed conversations about racial reconciliation, economic reconciliation. Those conversations actually are rooted in a kind of jubilee. Um, I was overhearing a conversation this week. Uh, A student was saying to a professor, they must have just been talking about these issues, and a student was saying, but I had nothing to do with all of that stuff, right? All this racial reconciliation, I, that was not, I wasn't part of any of that. I didn't want to enter into the conversation, but everything in me wanted to say, welcome to Jubilee, kid. You're the son who inherited the farm on year 45. Jubilee is coming, and there are systems that have benefited you for years that have hurt others. And it may have had little or nothing to do with conscious decisions of yours, but, but welcome, welcome to a grace that invites the lost to be found, those who've been disconnected to be reconnected. And that is so costly. It is always costly. Thanks for the way that you've navigated even some of the changes in this room or even the fact that there are cameras in this place now. I really did honestly think I was going to have to resign when this thing was over. Uh, I, was, I had my resume out just in case. It didn't go well. Just kidding. But you, uh, I was a little nervous. One of the things that has happened to us over the last few years is, if you look around, we've gotten a lot younger. In fact, the only places we're really larger than we were before the pandemic hit is in, in the nursery and children's ministry and some of our young adult stuff. And for the most part, then you've been able to see that and be grateful that changes have brought, this has opened the door for you to be mentors and to embrace folks into your life. Now, not always. I really expected more people to be lamenting what you've lost. To be thinking about all the things that used to be that aren't anymore. 
to have a beef that there isn't as much beef as there used to be. I wanted to close this morning. I, I thought about, you know, the you might be a redneck if stuff that um, Jeff Fox here used to do. The problem when you get to the end of this is I wanted to write a whole series of you might be the older brother if, right? If you've ever started a sentence with, I've been here my whole life, you might be the older brother. <laughs> if you start a sentence with, well, I'm one of the tithers, you might be the older brother. It's likely that we have all been the older brother and are the older brother regularly. But here's the good news. Even there, the father does not bring shame and condemnation. The father begs for you to come in and enjoy the joy of those who celebrate when the lost have been found and who have stopped calculating the costs and have started celebrating all things being made new. This morning, I, I want to close, and I, I know we're running out of time, but I, I want to close by opening the altar. Thanks, Pastor Carly, for leading us in prayer earlier. But this morning, if you heard this text well, It invites us to imagine who, who are we in the text. And perhaps this morning, you don't know how you got lost, but you know you are. It was never intentional. But somehow decisions and habits, relationships, have put you in a place where you feel far from what God wants you to be. perhaps a bit like that coin, you feel like life has more impacted you than you've had a chance to impact life. <laughs> like that woman, God is tearing every boundary down to try to find ways to connect you to the purposes that he has for you. To bring healing into that life, to bring reconnection. This is a hard one. Um, and there's a chance that you may not be here this morning. <laughs> you may be the one that has shaken your fist and run. By the way, I know a lot of prodigals. You know a lot of prodigals. Whenever you ask me to pray for a prodigal, between you and me, before you ask me, here's my prayer for prodigals. God, help them get to the pig pen fast. Help them get to the bottom so they can realize how far life is and how sad life is when it's disconnected from you. And it's hard to see, but maybe we're the older brother today. In this text, God always moves towards us, but every once in a while, we need to respond by moving towards him. And if that's you today, I'd invite you to come and pray this morning as we close. Let's sing together. Lord, I need you. I confess bowing I find my rest without you, my fall.
God, we, um, we come to you this morning recognizing how easy it is for us to get lost. It's easy for us uh, to wander. It is, it is all too frequent in our world for there to be people who have been acted upon in ways that have created a kind of lostness that too often feels then like a kind of hopelessness and despair. Some of us have shaken our fist at all of the good things that we have known and have been extended to us and we have decided we're gonna do this my own self. I, I pray uh, for the prodigals in this room, for prodigals connected online, for prodigals who may stumble on this somewhere in the internet world. Would you wake us up fast before too much of the life you've given to us has been lost in things that don't matter and don't love us in return? And God, I, I pray for, um, it is easy for especially a lot of us who've been raised in patterns of religion to become older brothers too often in my own life and the lives of others, I have seen a failure to have your heart that turns into a kind of negativity that within a second and third generation creates a disconnection because when we fail to look like you, nobody wants the life that we have to offer, including those closest to us. And so have mercy and so come and find us today. Tear down the barriers, reconnect us to life. 
Welcome us home, shake the etch-a-sketch and make all things new. And oh God, give us hearts that beat with yours and eyes that don't miss out on the jubilee party that you're throwing. Make us your people today, we pray. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's just sing the last part of that chorus again. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My own defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Again, wonderful to see you this morning. I want to remind those of you who are new friends to us in the last month or two, come back next week. Have lunch with us. That'd be great. And Bella Voce, nice to have you today. Judy, thank you. Beautiful. If you've listened well this morning, We serve a God who wants us more than anything else to be connected to the things that he has for us and to flourish in the beauty of grace and in the joy of love and in the transformation of mercy. Nazarenes, we have a word for that. We just call that sanctified life. That's why this benediction is for us this morning. May the God who keeps looking for us and keeps making peace May he sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, our souls, our bodies, may they be found and kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who searches for us and he who calls us, he is faithful and he will not stop until he completes this work in us. And all God's people said, amen. Go in his peace.